0: of desperation
1: Find somebody and tell them good morning.
2: Christmas threw up in this place, doesn't it? (laughs) Green. Well, you know that's not a negative thing. Christmas is good. It just, you know, the candy canes. We need to do that. We need to give out candy canes. We get peppermint candy out there. You said no. Okay, never mind. Is everybody good? Did you buy me my first Christmas gift yet? (laughs) Anyway, we're glad to have you here. If you're watching on the internet, welcome to Carpenter's Way and Merry Christmas. This year, I don't know if you're aware, it's like a week shorter than normal, so hopefully you are doing all the festivities. It looked like last night in downtown Lovekin with the Rudolph and the reindeer run and everything else. It looks like it was a fun time in town. We are turning, we're, they're going to change the name from Lovekin to Hallmarkville, but uh, enjoy the season. They're celebrating your Savior and uh, even if they don't know it, and, we, and it's, it's a wonderful time to celebrate, and we hope you have a, a, a very Merry Christmas. I do want to, uh, I, if you're visiting with us, welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, hopefully, uh, you uh, are encouraged in your walk with God, having been with us. Just to make it clear, we are intense, uh, in, intentional about our study of the Scriptures. That's what we do here, uh, we realize that in a room this size, it's hard to get to know people. So we emphasize greatly our Bible studies, uh, which take place before and after this service. So if you're interested in being involved with one of those, man, we'd love to meet you. And Julie and I will be our, up here after. And if you're visiting with us, I'd love to shake your hand. And, and uh, Or if you don't want to come up front as you leave here, there's a table out there that says welcome on it. With some coffee on it and uh, we'll have some people out there that would love to shake your hand and greet you and and welcome you but we're glad you're here and if you're watching on the internet come be a part of us man just uh, don't be afraid you can sit in the back you'll have to fight for the back row you can sit in the front row there's always plenty of seats so uh but but we'd love to have you and uh, and and get to know you personally um if you're scared of groups uh then come when it's really full christmas eve we have a candlelight service upcoming or we have a family christmas the sunday right before christmas somebody asked me this morning when is our christmas eve service this year this year we're going to do it on the 24th and uh it'll be candlelights (laughs) six to six thirty and 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 if you haven't been with us before we do a tight schedule that night and the reason is we want you to bring your family A lot of you start your festivities on Christmas Eve, and you have folks coming from Houston and Dallas and other places, and you're going to have dinner with them, and we we don't want to, we, we want to be part of that and not interrupt it. You can bring them, and then 6.30, we'll get you out of here onto your family events. I know we're going to have our taco thing before, and then I'll bring my kids and their families will be here, and then after, we're going to. <clears throat> go get some hot chocolate and drive around and look at the lights in Lovkin. So this is, our, uh, this is what we do, and we hope that you'll participate in that as well and, and, and be encouraged in all of that. So that's what's coming up. If you are in the room, you have a worship guide that has all these activities upcoming. So um, uh, let's see, what else do I need to mention? Oh, for the month of November, you guys take a love offering for the staff, and just to say thank you, and I want to thank you back. We, we are so blessed by you, and we're privileged to participate with you in the life of walking with Jesus Christ. That's what we do. And we may facilitate that, but we're with you in the middle. And uh, we struggle with the same things you struggle with. And, and uh, to study the Scriptures and be, pressured, uh, be, be challenged by it. But uh, to have you love on us like you did in the month of November means an awful lot. And we, we just want to say thank you. There's a note from the staff in the worship guide, so, so take note of that as well. Um, our final Wednesday night meeting here at the church is this coming Wednesday night. Adults, we're going to have, uh, we're going to show, we, we've, been, we've been studying over the last six weeks, evidence for the case of Christ. And uh, we're going to wrap up our year by looking at evidence for the Bethlehem Star, by watching a 50-minute a, a movie together, and we'll have some time to discuss it this Wednesday night. Children will be having programming going on during that time too. So, but this will be the last Wednesday night of the year. Actually, that's. I want to thank those of you who always correct my English. Let me let me rephrase that. This will be the last Wednesday night we'll be gathering for the year of 2019. Apparently, last week I talked about the women's event, and I said we have a larger women's event this coming Tuesday night, and I got a couple of emails saying. Are skinny women allowed? Yes, they were. And uh, so I want to thank you for feeling so close to correct my English all the time. It just doesn't change. And as I get older, it's going to get worse. You guys are funny. Okay. So uh, check out your worship guide. Lots of stuff in there for you. I, I need to take a, a, a moment for two housekeeping issues. All right. So the first one, and these are of, of, of significant import, uh, importance. So next Sunday morning is a normal service. Uh, that will be the second in a two-week series of Advent, and uh, you'll understand that more at the end of today. But um, I know this is a series inside of a series. We'll get back in January to the study of Jesus. Uh, <laughs> Advent is a study of Jesus too, I- I'm aware. But um, uh, again, thank you for the text. I can feel Um uh, but, but the next, the following week is our, is our annual Christmas uh, family morning. That is an hour-long service. It's the Sunday right before Christmas. Everybody is in here but our preschool. And I think they're in here as well. Uh, Alicia's not here this morning. But, but uh, they'll be in here. We, we, it's family. So we pack this room, and kids cry, and we sing. And this year's theme is stories, and we need help. So you need to take your phone out. You're going to be encouraged. And I want you to find a picture on your phone, or when you get home, you've got to remember. J- Jeff sent me a text late last night that says, please beg the family for what I'm about to beg you. You've got to send us a Christmas picture or it's going to be a really short service. So we need every family, and I know you forget this, but we need every family in our church, even if you're new, just send us a Christmas picture. And I know what you're asking. Serious? Funny? Uh, this year, last year, when they were two, the answer is Yes. Uh-huh. Feel free. Don't send five. Send your favorite one. It can be when your kids are children. It could be now. It don't 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 think deeply. You can take one this afternoon. They could be dressed up as elves. You can you can do that. Whatever, a family Christmas picture. And Jeff said to babe. So here I go. Please. We good? Uh, okay, so take your phones out, and while I keep talking, you can. I, nobody's got their phones out. So take a note and, and do it later. Uh, we're going to remind you on Facebook, well, we need lots of pictures. And at, I think as of right now, I'm the only one who sent one in. So if you want to spend a half hour looking at me and my family in our PJs, go ahead. We have these, we, we get them every year. When Hannah came into our family, feels like a lot longer, but it's actually only been so Out. Oh, hold on. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Oh, somebody just text me. Don't text me your picture. Yeah, I got it. Thank you, Tammy. All right. So listen, (laughs) listen, send them. You're right. I got to do this announcement. It's Jeff at cwbc.org for real this time. Send them to Jeff. If you send them to me, yes, I will forward them on, but I'd like to thank Tammy Jones for her expedient uh, help. Thank you, Tammy. It'll be you, your family and mine right now. So uh, let's see what I was doing. Oh, so Hannah came into our years. Let's see. So Zach started dating her two years in March, they, uh, they got married last March, and they're having a baby this March. So we're in a hurry. They're going to retire by the following March. So, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, she got us into family PJs. Those pictures you've seen, it's her fault. So uh, we got Yeti ones this year. Getting Yeti for Christmas. <laughs> I'm 53, and I'm wearing Yeti pants. Okay, but it's all for hannah and little baby sam sammy that's coming into our lives so anyway so feel free to do yeti pants or whatever but uh It'll, be a, it'll make it a lot of fun. And if you haven't been to our family Christmas service, it's very, very, it's just family. And that's what we do. It really is what we do here. We do family and, and, and we talk and we encourage each other. So that's coming up. All right, one more family, family business uh, thing. Uh, and so this is really just for those who attend here regularly. Uh, as we come to the end of our year, uh, as is often the case, we fall behind in our budget each year. And uh, if you're able, and look, only if you're able, if you're able to help us out with a little extra at the end of the year, that'll get our budget back to zero where we need to be to start 2020 uh, in a good place. So if you're able to assist us with a little extra this year, uh, your giving this year has been fantastic, and we appreciate it. Um, and uh, some of you are in a position where you need to take, and we're here to help you. We're here to encourage you and to love on you, and we do give uh, to folks in need in our church. And some of you are in a position to help and to give. And, uh, and there's no middle ground. We're all participants. And that's the mandate of Scripture. We all participate in giving and supporting of missions and the ministries of the church. And you have given so well. Um, But if you're able to give a little extra this this next few weeks, uh, we would appreciate that, and uh, that'll get us off to a good start. So that does it for all the announcements. We can go back to focusing now on the Lord. Uh, So I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time as we prepare for our offering. And uh, if during the season. Uh, you, I want to remind you that we gather as a staff most days of the week to pray for you, and if there's anything specific, we can pray. Look around you. There are people in our church that are hurting uh, physical ailments and different things, and uh, be, be praying and loving on each other. So let's uh, commit our service to the Lord and let's get our eyes back on where, where we want to be for the next hour. Father, thank you uh, for sending your son into the world, uh, that first advent, uh, the coming of the Messiah to redeem, to save people from their sin. And we look forward to your second advent when you come and fix everything else. And uh, Lord, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to concentrate on that. It is my prayer that you bless our conversation and that you inhabit it. I thank you for Chad and his team as they lead us in worship and prepare our hearts, Father, for your coming. Prepare our hearts for the celebration of this season and Lord Jesus, I pray for our family that you would bless them, that you would encourage them, that you would bring healing to those who need healing, and most of all, that you would focus us on you. We love you, Jesus. We're thankful for the gift of your son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: As the offering plate passes, if you want to stand and worship with us, you're more than welcome. Remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends, His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness, His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, The Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in Him. You're not already standing, would you stand and sing this with us? I'm that you live. We thank you, Lord, that you can relate to us. We thank you, Lord, that you spent 30 years just walking around as a man, just doing the things that we do, Lord, getting up, going to work, interacting with your friends and your family, and that you can relate to us as humans, and we thank you so much for that. We ask, Lord, that we had not lose sight of that this season. Yes, it's, it's great with family and presence and all these things, but, Lord, you came. You gave up your divine privilege, and you came, and you lived as one, as a, as one of us, and for that, guy, we were, we were thankful. For that, guy, we say thank you. And we ask, Lord, so that you would just open up our hearts to, to hear what you have to say this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: As the kids head to their programming GPS, uh, I want to take a moment and pray for them. Um, the next two weeks are really significant in helping children understand why Jesus came. And uh, there's a lot of noise out there. And so uh, we, they need to understand that he came to save them from their sin. That's why he came. So let's just take another second before we jump into our text and just pray for our kids. Father, I pray for our children right now. Lord, you told the Jewish folks to raise up their kids, disciple them so that they understand the law. And that's our instruction as well. We want our kids to know you, Father. We, we, don't, we want them to know why you came, why they need you to come. We want these children at a young age to accept you and your gift of forgiveness for their sin. So we pray for the teachers who are giving up being able to sit in here and drink coffee and study your scripture, who are giving that up willingly to serve these kids. I pray you'd bless them. And I pray that today, if there's a kid in our ministry that doesn't know you, that today they'd come to know you. Help us now, Lord, to hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've uh, been thinking a lot about you this week, and before I jump into our, our, our study, I just, I, I just want to thank you for taking this journey with Julie and I, and, I and, and I'm not just saying life. I'm talking about this study of Jesus, this, the study of Scriptures, because what we're doing week in and week out, uh, whether it's during our, our Sunday morning times together when I open the Word, or we get together in our Bible study groups. We're actually re-looking at what the Scriptures say most of the time. Sometimes you'll do a book study, but most of the time, we're actually re-looking for ourselves at the contextual Scripture. What does it say about Jesus? Why? And We're, we're trying to ask lots of questions, and the truth is it takes courage to do that. I, I know it does, especially when you grow up in the Bible Belt. It takes courage um, because you have to rethink, and, and it's hard work. Uh, I've heard from a lot of you, uh, um, even in the last month, about how the study that we're doing on the life of Jesus, who is this man is what we've called it, uh, has has created a lot of conversation between husbands and wives. And I know that's true because even this week as I studied for what I want to share with you this morning, it, it opens conversation with Julie and I, and it forces us to actually go back into Scripture uh, to find out if what I'm studying is true, if what we're learning together is true. And look, I tell you all the time, and I really mean it, you can't, you can't turn your brain off and trust me. You can't turn your brain off and trust your favorite author or your favorite musician, because each of us come with an angle or an understanding. I'm not saying that a lot of us are deceitful. I think that a lot of us ourselves forget to study context. We're so busy reading and, and what other people say that we kind of get geared towards stuff. And, and one of the, um, one of the, the things that when we came to Carpenter's Way just about 15 years ago, one of the things that, that I decided I really wanted to do, and I've kind of done it before, was actually get into Scripture and see what it says for itself. And, and uh, I want to thank you for taking that journey because I know it's hard. I do. I really do. It would be much easier to just turn your brain off and have a pastor tell you what you should do and maybe read a few verses and tell you why that's a good idea to follow that and, and apply it for you. And I don't do that. Um, I, want to, I want you to think and, and this morning's message, this morning's message fits that uh, that mojo, if you want to call it. That it's it's really really important because it changes everything. If you start thinking contextually, scripturally, it will change how you see scripture, and you'll be protected. And you need to be protected in this time. Um, One of the things that goes on in my heart underneath the surface is it tells us that as the end of the day's approach, and obviously we're going to be talking about the advent of Jesus, and we're going to be talking about both advents. And and so if you grew up in the church, you know that I'm talking about the first one is this season, and the second one is the return of the Lord. One of the things that Scripture tells us about the return of the Lord, it says that if the Lord hadn't returned when He does, even the church itself would be deceived. And so first and foremost... Overgrowing a church and over being liked, although I like both of those things make me feel good about myself, to be truthful, and I struggle with both. The fact is that my primary concern is that you are protected because Satan is not going to come at you and try to get you to become a Satanist. He is going to get you to whitewash Christianity. It's going to be kind of a philosophy of life instead of the source of life. Um, the term Christian means so many things to so many people. And one of the things I think, I hope, that you're you're beginning to learn is that being a Jew meant a lot of things to a lot of people too. But being a child of Abraham, being a child of God, according to Galatians, meant that you circumcised your heart, not just your body, and gave it to the Lord. That, that's, that's the difference. <clears throat> Going to church, growing up in the Bible Belt, revering Scripture, loving God, all fine things, none of those make you His child. And I know, um, I, I guess what I want to say is I, I know it's hard. I hear from some of you, I know it's tiring. But you can't be, we can't, we cannot afford to be wrong on this. We can be wrong on the sign gifts. You can be wrong on miracles. You can be wrong on a lot of things. But you can't be wrong on Jesus. You, you understand that, right? And here it goes. He's intense again. It, this is intense. We're, in, we're at war, you guys. And the, and the one who fights us, the our adversary, the devil, <clears throat> he doesn't play by any set of rules except deceive them. He will let you be just as Christian as you want to be as long as you're not surrendered. You do understand that, right? And and to be fully surrendered, we've got to fully understand. And and so we're moving in that direction. And um, I I just want to thank you for joining me on this journey. But when our journey ends, never, ever, 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 ever stop thinking. Be critical. Be critical of the preaching. Be critical of what we believe. One of the things we've been doing on the last month in our Wednesday nights is the case for Christ. And I have tried to push Christian people to question everything they believe about Jesus Christ because the evidence is there for who he claims to be. And I want to push you to not just buy into this. Be critical in your thinking. Be cynical in your thinking and search and search and search and search. And we're here to help you. We're not here to help you agree with us. We're here to give you the evidence so that that you can come to a conclusion and bow the knee to Jesus Christ. But while you're doing that, so too are we. We've had a sick son. Not sixth, sick, S-I-C-K. We've had trouble in our marriage. Julie was wrong for a long season and I fixed it. I'm just kidding. That's the, fr- I apologize. I, I promised her years ago I'd never make a joke about her, so that's why I say she's perfect. But, but, uh, that's, but the, the, the truth is, I mean, we've had seasons that were dark. Even while I was in ministry, we, I, I've had seasons of doubt. I've had, you know, I've told Julie on multiple occasions, if I didn't know God personally, looking at the church, I'd wonder if any of this is true. I go through the same things you do. That's why it's so important to me that we wrestle together with this. And I, I, one of the things that I've told other pastors, and, and I have a couple I meet with monthly, one of the things I appreciate about you is that you allow me not to be perfect. You allow me to think clearly, and you push back when you think I'm wrong. That's why I admit when I'm wrong. When you show me from Scripture, but that is such a privilege as a pastor because it allows me not just to be a member of the clergy, it allows me to be a, a child of God as well. Does that make sense to you? Thank you for allowing that. It, it, that means more to me and Julie and Jeff and Alicia and all of our pastoral staff than you, you could possibly imagine. Chad and Robert, thank you guys so much. The money was nice, but who you are is nicer. I can't think of another church in this country I would rather be worshiping in. And I say that with God as my witness. I I swear before the Lord I mean that. And you should be. That's remarkable because I don't know many pastors that would worship in the church they serve in. And uh, you make that possible. In that, I know it's hard. Keep going. It's okay. It's okay that it's hard. You think you get confused and perplexed. What about the disciples we're studying? And that that really takes us into today's message, believe it or not. Because as we're learning the context of Scripture and things, I don't know that a lot of us really know what Advent is, and so I, I thought I'd take a couple weeks and talk about that. And I'd like to why it matters. Um, notice I didn't say Christmas; I said Advent. Um, Advent, the word—it's just—it's just a word, and it actually means the arrival of a notable person. That's all it means. It just means waiting the arrival of a notable person. Christmas is obviously when we celebrate the first advent of God's Messiah. Notice I added that. Uh, The advent of your children coming for Christmas. That's, that's That's an actual statement. It's not very common English, but you could say that. But the advent of God's Messiah is what we celebrate during this season. Jesus, his last name is not Christ. The word Christ means Messiah. The word Messiah actually isn't a Hebrew word. The word in Hebrew is the anointed one. We, we, as, as we translate it, we try to summarize everything, and that's where we end up with this. But I don't even think the Hebrew Bible has the word Messiah in it. It has the phrase anointed one, which has been translated into Hebrew doctrine as the Messiah, and we use the Messiah, but the truth is, the first, the birth of Jesus is the advent of that anointed one, of God's Messiah, Jesus the Christ, and and you can start using that if you'd like, but people will look at you weird, but that is actually his name. Jesus is his name, son of Joseph is how they would have referred to him. If you want to know his name, it's Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. That's his name. That's his full name. His middle name is son of Joseph. His last name is from Nazareth. We call him Jesus Christ, and the actual proper way to refer to him is Jesus the Christ. You're you're not just saying, oh, that guy, Jesus, Yeshua, that baby born in Bethlehem, who is the Messiah. You're identifying him. Biblically speaking, though, there are two advents of Yeshua, the Christ, the Messiah, two of them. One is during this season, we celebrate the virgin birth, but there's another one, and that is what we look forward to or should look forward to. That's going to be what next week is about, and I'll fill that gap in. I always, and one thing about next week is I always wondered, as I read through my this is the world I grew up in, and my parents took, we, we had lots of neat things. My dad, who, by the way, is moving here in January. <gasps> I ran away, home. is following me, so... Uh, we're very excited. They just bought a home in Hudson. (sighs) So all of you who put, hey, Oklahoma's cheaper. Californians move there. They're moving to Hudson. Okay. And they want to come one of the reasons. I mean, this is so cool, you guys. I will get to my message. One of the cool, you know what he told me, my dad said, and his wife, they came and visited about a month and a half ago. And he said, you know, we haven't been involved in a real church in a long time. And we want to be near you. My dad is turning 80 next year. He said, by my 80th birthday, I want to be close to my family, and I want to have a church. So don't screw it up. <laughs> but, you know, it's really, it's really quite remarkable, whether it's my brother and his wife or my sister and her daughter or my dad. Every time my family comes here and they sit in this church, they, they want to be a part of you. It's who you are that impacts people, not just what we say. But, again, um, I remember as a child growing up in a very Christian home, I, I, I remember reading the end of this book because we talked, as Tim LaHaye taught, we talked a lot about the book of Revelation and the end of Revelation has the word Maranatha, which means come Lord Jesus, even so come. Yeah, please, John is begging God to come and I remember as a kid going, mm, I'd like to be 16 and drive first. Then I want to get married, then I want to have babies. I mean, we've all been there, don't, don't leave me hanging. That's because we have it so good. I mean, we haven't put our hope in the second advent of Jesus, which is part of why we struggle with God, but that's next week's message. It's really good. You'll, it's it's going to be fun. It's been good for me. I haven't studied it yet, but I can tell where we're going. and it's... <laughs> but, uh, but the advent of Jesus, when we think about the first advent of the coming of the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, it's Christmas, right? And, you know, there's a lot of things about that we don't think about. For instance, we hear in church that The Jews were looking forward to his return, but were they? Were they really? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And what is it they were looking for? Watch this. This is a good start for us. Favorite Rich Mullen song, Uh, poor Nancy Mize, every time we talk about uh, coming either Easter or Christmas, I say, we've got to use that song. I love it. But as I was uh, thinking about this Advent, and Julie's doing an Advent study with a lot of you ladies here, and you know, it, it seems like we try to get that Advent feeling. But the question has to be asked, Did the Jews really want the Messiah? Were they waiting for him? Were they doing what Rich Mullen says in that song when Jesus is a little boy playing on on the seashore of Galilee? Did he hear other children singing, my deliverer is coming? Did he? And the answer is, yeah, he did. The Jews were in fact praying, pleading, and begging with God for the anointed one to come. Actually, it wasn't just during the life of Christ. You can go back to Daniel and you can hear the prayer of the Hebrew faithful man of God praying for this. You're familiar with Daniel chapter 9 if you've ever studied prophecy because that's the one that we debate whether or not there's a pre-trib rapture and when the Lord is going to return. But again, when our mind gears towards that, we miss some of the interesting context at the beginning. Daniel the prophet who lived about 500 years before Christ was born prayed this from Daniel chapter 9. It was the first year of the reign of Darius the Mede, the son of Asherus, who became king of the Babylonians. During the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, you remember that Daniel was taken captive by the Babylonians, by by the Babylonians, and, and he's in captivity, and he cries out while he's in captivity, I, Daniel, learned from the reading of the word of the Lord. Now, you know why it's important that you read the Scriptures, As revealed to Jeremiah the prophet that Jerusalem must lie desolate for 70 years. So I turned to the Lord and I pleaded uh, with him in prayer and fasting. I also wore rough burlap and sprinkled myself with ashes. So what you have is 500 years before the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. 500 years before that, you have Daniel studying the book of Jeremiah the prophet who lived 70 years before him. So the prophecies were written about 50, 60, 70 years before he's reading them. He's studying the Scriptures because he's a man of God, a prophet, and he's learning facts from that. And what does he learn? That 70 years after Daniel prophesied, God would begin the restoration of Jerusalem. Here is what what he read. And pay attention because it will give you insight into what the Jews expected through God's sent one. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. I'm going to give you a lot of scripture. So just skim through it with me and, and, and try to pick, pick up what, what is being said. This is what Daniel, the prayer for the advent of Jesus, that's what he's going to pray. This is what he heard. For a time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from the King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. And this will be his name. Here's his name. The Lord is our righteous. That's his name, a long name, but a name nonetheless. In that day, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7 through 11. In all the history, there has never been such a time of terror. It will be a time of trouble for my people Israel. Yet in the end, they'll be saved. For in that day, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will break the yoke from their necks and snap their chains. Foreigners will no longer be their masters. Now remember that while Daniel's living, this is what he's reading. That we're no longer going to be enslaved to foreigners. And that's the, that's the experience he's having. Foreigners will no longer be their masters. Verse 9 of Je- Jeremiah 30. For my people will serve the Lord their God. And the king descended from David. The king I will raise up for them. So do not be afraid, Jacob. Another name for Israel, my servant. Do not be dismayed, Israel. Jacob and Israel are two different parts of the kingdom. So don't be afraid, peep, my, my Jewish, my Hebrew people. For I will bring you home again from distant lands. Remember, they're in Babylon. They want to go back to Jerusalem. And your children return from their exile. Sound familiar to Daniel? Israel will return to a life of peace and quiet, and no one will terrorize them. For I am with you and will save you, says the Lord. Jeremiah 33, 14 to 16. The day will come, says the Lord, when I will do for Israel and uh, Judah all the things I have promised them. In those days and at that time, I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will do what is just and right throughout the land. In that day, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. And this will be uh, be its name. The Lord is our righteousness. So, God, the name of the the Messiah is the Lord is righteous, and the name of the nation is the Lord is our righteousness. So Daniel has been studying the prophecies of Jeremiah. He's been reading this. He knows knows the law. He studies the Old Testament, all the Hebrews do, especially the first five books of the Bible known as the the Torah. They all memorize, they, they know Hebrew so they can read it. And also, every time they gather, every Sabbath, they would read from the prophets and the law and also the songs. They would do this. And this is a fulfillment. He is excited. So, studying this, Daniel comes to a conclusion, like all people studying the scriptures, that in his lifetime, God is going to do that. So, this is his prayer in Daniel chapter 9. I prayed to the Lord my God and I confessed. Oh Lord, you are great and awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant and you keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. But we have sinned and done wrong. We have rebelled against you and scorned your commands and regulations. We have refused to listen to your servants, the prophets who spoke on your authority to our kings and princes and ancestors and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are in the right. But you see, our faces are covered with shame. This is true of all of us, including the people of Judah and Jerusalem and all Israel scattered near and far, wherever you have driven us because because of our disloyalty to you. O Lord... We and our kings and princes and ancestors are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. Verse 9. But the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God, for we have not followed the instructions he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All of Israel has disobeyed your instructions and turned away, refusing to listen to your voice. So now the solemn curses and judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured down on us because of our sin. You have kept your word and done to us and our rulers exactly what you warned. Never never has there been such a disaster as has happened in Jerusalem. Every curse written against us in the law of Moses has come true. Yet we have refused to seek mercy from the Lord our God by turning from our sins and recognizing his truth. Therefore, the Lord has brought upon us the disaster he prepared. The Lord our God was right to do all of these things, for we did not obey him. O Lord our God, you brought, uh, brought lasting honor to your name by rescuing your people from Egypt in a great display of power. Stick with me, I'm almost done. But we have sinned and are full of wickedness. In view of all of your faithful mercies, Lord, please turn your furious anger away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. All the neighboring nations mock Jerusalem and your people because of our sins and the sins of our ancestors. O Lord, our God, hear your servant's prayer. Listen as I plead. For your own sake, Lord, smile again on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, lean down and listen to me. Open your eyes and see our despair. See how your city, the city that bears your name, lies in ruins. We make this plea, not because we deserve help, but because of your mercy. I'm almost done. Verse 19. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act for your own sake. Do not delay. O my God, your, for your people and your city bear your name. I went on praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, playing with, praying with the Lord, or pleading with the Lord my God for Jerusalem, his holy city. So this is 500 years, as I've said, before Christ is on the scene, before the Messiah comes. And you have Daniel, a holy man, looking at the law, looking at the nation. It's in desolation. It's been kid- the kids, kids have been kidnapped. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are three or four that you know of. They are in exile. They're living in Babylon. Even the Jews in Jerusalem, the temple's been destroyed. <clears throat> it is an absolute mess. And Daniel, reading the scriptures, realizes why it's happened. And he finds the conclusion is that God sends this anointed one, this deliverer, to come and to redeem, forgive their sins so that Israel can be restored, so that Jerusalem can be restored. That is what they were looking forward to in the Advent, that is their mindset. Daniel repents, and get this, this is based upon God's teaching. He promised that if you sin against me, I'm going to punish you, and you're going to lose everything. If you repent, I'm going to fix everything. But actually, God promised that he'd send a Messiah to fix everything anyway. That was the unconditional covenant he made to Abraham. I know that some of you are like, what are you talking about? Bear with me, because I'm answering two questions. Were they really looking forward to the advent of God's anointed one? And if so, what were they looking forward to him doing? So even the holy man Daniel that we have great reverence for isn't looking for salvation from sin for the world. He is seeing sin forgiveness as a way to get what he really wants. Jerusalem restored. Because that's all the Jews cared about. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm simply saying that that was the mindset. And you need to understand the mindset in order to get to the end of this message. We're not there yet. This, for hundreds of years, prior to, the, uh, to, to Christ, the Christ coming, Daniel was looking forward to him coming, forgiving their sins, pleading for it, praying for it, so that Israel could be restored to its Davidic or Solomon status of greatness. And we studied a couple years ago that, how amazing the nation was. They wanted to go back there. They didn't even fathom that God had greater things for them, even though he tells them he does. The expectation, the expectation of the Jews, even Daniel, was that God would send his anointed one just to heal a nation. That's because they heard it in the prophecies. Not just Jeremiah, but listen to Isaiah 11, <clears> to <throat> 9. A lot of scripture this morning. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will, not judge, <clears throat> he will not judge by appearance nor make decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of His word, and one breath of the mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard and the lo- and. Uh the, the leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion. And a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a ca- cow. The baby will play safely near the hole of the cobra. Yes, a little child will put his hand in the nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or res- destroy in all the holy mountain. As uh, For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. Can you imagine them reading this? They're like, come on, bring it on. They live in slavery. Their their nation is a mess. People are dying at the whim of godless leaders. Verse 10, in that day, the heir of David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. Oh, he said it, but they don't hear it. To all the world, the nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. They do hear that. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to bring back the remnant of his people. Those who remain in Assyria, northern Egypt, in southern Egypt, Ethiopia, and Elam, in Babylonia, uh, Hamath, and in the distant coastlands. He will raise a flag among the nation and and, and assemble the exiles of Israel. He will gather the scattered people of Judah from the ends of the earth. Then at last, the jealousy between Israel and Judah will end. Hosea 3, 4, and 5 says this. Israel will go a long time without a king or prince and without sacrifices, sacred pillars, priests, or even idols. And if you look at David's life, there's no king of Israel. This sounds just like their time. But afterward, the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and David's descendants, their king. In the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and of his goodness. Ezekiel 37 And give them this message from the sovereign Lord. I will gather the people of Israel from among the nations. I will bring them home to their own land from the places where they have been scattered. I will unify them into one nation on on the mountains of Israel. One king will rule them all. No longer will they be divided into two nations or two kingdoms. They will never again pollute themselves with their idols and vile images and rebellion, for I will save them from their sinful apostasy. I will cleanse them. Then they will truly be my people and I will be their God. My servant David will be their king and and they, will be, uh, they will have only one shepherd. They will obey my regulations and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in a land I give the servant Jacob, the land where their ancestors live. They and their children and their grandchildren after them will live forever and ever. You, you get the idea. I can keep going. And there's dozens and dozens of these prophecies. Do you see a theme? There's a theme that God is going to restore his Hebraic nation and their land that he promised them. An unconditional promise to Abraham. He's going to restore them To the Jew, the Messiah that was coming, the anointed one was to bring redemption to the greatness that once was a Hebrew nation. I I know this is kind of boring for you non-Jews, okay? But it is important because this explains why they killed him. This explains what happened when he came. While all the prophets spoke of salvation from sin as well, I remind you of Isaiah 53 that you are very familiar with. This is also a description of God's anointed one coming. Isaiah 53. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green uh, green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. Yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sin. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. Now remember, this is also 500 years before Christ was born. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet God, the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep is silent before the shears, he didn't open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and he had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Obviously, this is a prophecy about the anointed one, Right? And this is intense. It talks about, well, let me keep reading just a few more verses. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet with his life, uh, yet when his life is made an offering for sin... He he will have many descendants. And by the way, that phrase means for many generations and many lands all over the world. He's going to have descendants. This Messiah is going to have descendants from every nation on earth. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he has exposed himself to death. He is counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of the many and interceded for rebels. So, Pastor Mark, what does this have to do with the Advent? Just like we sit around today and we argue about the return of Christ. We, in this church, we have pre-tribbers, mid-tribbers, post-tribbers, no-tribbers. we got lots of people. Everybody's got a different idea. Everybody's selling a book on prophecy. It seems to have slowed down a little bit, but it'll ramp up next year, I promise. New book, same book, new title. Only once it was Saddam Hussein, and another time it was... I mean, we just go through the list of these people. And every time we just change it, but they're obsessed with a few verses here and there that say what they wanna hear while leaving out the rest. And the rest was that God was going to send a Messiah who would redeem his people and all the people of the world. But the Jews didn't get that. Daniel didn't get it. Daniel knew there was a sin component, but the sin was what was keeping him from getting what he really wanted. I'm not saying Daniel's a bad guy. I'm just saying in his limited understanding, the idea of a new Messiah, a new anointed one, was to get what he wanted, and that is a safe, beautiful, wonderful land. That was their goal. Their goal included the fact that they thought really their sins were mostly forgiven by the sacrificial system. We're good with religion. We know that we still need mercy from God, but we really want a kingdom. Um, While spiritual redemption for all mankind was right there in the prophecies from God, the idea that God would send his anointed one to save sinners from every nation, that he would have many descendants, that was just, they couldn't put their mind around it. In their defense, God doesn't always lay out timelines, right? In their defense, sometimes God's speaking of two different events instead of one different event. We only know it's two different events as he explains himself more. Actually, what's remarkable about Daniel's is those of you who have studied Daniel, remember that the Lord actually responded to Daniel through Gabriel and it took him 21 days to respond to the prayer. And when he gets there, he said, the evil one has, has been keeping me from coming. There was a battle. Gabriel comes and talks to him and, and says, it took me 21 days to get here. God actually answered your prayer right away. And then he goes on to explain what that, that God has heard his prayer. God is going to answer his prayer, just not now. That, that the nation of Israel would go from slavery to Babylon, and he lists the nations, from Babylon to Persia, from Persia to Greece, from Greece to Rome. And then he would send his anointed one. There's a section of Daniel that if you do the math, you can actually find out what year it was that the triumphal entry would take place. It's specific. But for the children of Israel, well, <laughs> one more thing, and then uh, let's see, I'm good on time, because I want you to see how invasive this was. Okay? In Acts chapter one, so after the resurrection, look, this wasn't just random Jews who thought this. This was what the disciples obsessed over. Okay? This is the question the disciples ask over and over again. When are you going to set up your kingdom? You know it, because even after Jesus says, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise again three days later, we're going to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest me. What's the question on the way to the upper room that James and John asked Jesus? You know it. Hey, master, when you sit down at the in your kingdom, when, when you take, when you take ownership of Jerusalem when you overthrow these dogs, dogs, Roman people, my mom wants to know if we can sit on the right and the left of you. So Jesus has said at least a dozen times in the Gospels, okay, here's what's going to happen. Pay attention. We got this two weeks ago where it says, finally, clearly, Jesus told them, I'm going to get arrested, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again three days later. Jesus has done this on a dozen occasions. And while they're walking to the upper room where Jesus told them, this is after Lazarus has been raised from the dead. We're going to Jerusalem now to celebrate the Passover, and I'm the lamb. I'm going to get slaughtered. They're like, yo, Yeshua. Um, maybe when you set this up in Jerusalem next week, we can be on your right and your left. So they don't get it. Now, get this. If you think that was all solved with the resurrection, look at, watch with me on Acts chapter 1. In my first book, Theophilus, and this is, I'm, I'm starting to see of context. This is Luke writing a guy named Theophilus, Who's a Gentile. Um, In my first book, which is the book of Luke, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he actually was alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. Let that soak in. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the, the, uh, the gift he promised, as I told you before. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. John baptized with water, but I, in just a few days, uh, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, and you get the idea they're walking toward the ascension, when they're with Jesus, they kept asking, which means they were asking over and over again, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? This is after the resurrection. This is after the ascension, or at the time of the ascension. And what is on the 12's mind? 11, sorry. What's on the 11's mind? Now? Now can I be on your right and your left? That was their obsession. Because they were convinced that the anointed one, born of a baby, of a virgin, all prophesied, in, uh, from Nazareth, that he came to restore Jerusalem. They were convinced of it based upon their understanding of scripture. And that's that the sin component was only a means by which the ultimate dream restoring Israel would take place. And they never let it go even after the resurrection. I asked you two questions at the beginning. Did the Jews believe, pray for, obsess over the advent? Absolutely. without a doubt. They were were passionate. There was probably a song that Jesus heard singing, my deliverer is coming. They looked forward to it. They prayed for it. They told their kids, put your hope in the deliverer. What does that mean, daddy? It means that God is going to send somebody like Moses kind of guy who's going to restore us. And then we won't have those pagan uncircumcised. And yes, children knew about that. Romans. Remember, when you see a Roman officer coming, honey, you walk the other way. What if they're mean to me? If they're mean to you, you walk the other way. They're from Satan. They're evil. Walk the other way. But don't worry. God's going to send our deliverer and Jerusalem will be restored. One more text I want to show you and then we're almost done. Luke chapter 2, 25. At that time, the time of Jesus' birth, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and what? I know these are little verses, but they're things that we don't look at because we're so busy celebrating what we now know. But I want to remind you that they didn't now know. They were looking forward to it. We look back and we, look, we know so much from what Paul teaches us. It explains everything. But please understand, these people thought that he was coming. Even this man of God, this prophet, he's referred, Simeon as called a prophet. But he was, he, he, he was a devout and eagerly waiting for the Messiah. My deliverer is coming. Every day this old man would pray that. Send my deliverer. And they'd tell everybody who came in, it could be today. Be prepared. Today's the day that Jerusalem might be restored. The Holy Spirit was upon him, verse 25 says. Verse 26, and he revealed to them that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So God had even met with this man and said, you will see my Messiah before you die. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and he praised God saying, sovereign net Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. Wow. This is a prophecy. I remind you back in Psalms where David talked about being hung and the, the gambling for his clothes. Psalm 52? 22? Anyway, it's in Psalms where David doesn't know that he's prophesying the words of Jesus on the cross. There's a Psalm 700 years before that he says, and it mimics what happens on the cross. David doesn't know he's writing about Jesus' words on the cross. He's just prophesying. God's giving him words. This guy doesn't know what he's praying for, what he's saying. I have seen your salvation. And by the way, the salvation which you have prepared for all people fits their mojo. They think that if the Jews are in charge, the whole world is blessed. He is the light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Verse 33, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Yeah, I bet they were. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. At which time Mary slapped him and walked to the next room in the synagogue area. I mean, he just told her that the Jews aren't going to like him. He just told her that he's going to pierce your soul. This is going to be painful. Excuse me? This is the eighth. This is my son's bris. We're about to circumcise my baby, and you're telling me he's going to be a pain in my side? Yes, he did. Move on, verse next verse. Anna the prophet was also there in the temple. She was the daughter of Phanuel from the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. Her husband died, and they had been married only seven years. Then she lived as a widow at the age of uh, 84. She never left the temple, but stayed there day and night, worshiping God and fasting and prayer. She came along just as Simeon was talking with Mary and Joseph, and she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly for case made all of that this whole 25 minutes of the message so far was to say yes they were longing that song is accurate they were praying for god to rescue jerusalem they had no idea what that meant they had no idea what he was coming to do the hebrew people were longing for god's anointed one the messiah to come advent they were waiting for his advent While they had seen a lot of prophecy about saying from their sin, they thought that that was a bridge by which God would give them what they really wanted, a restored nation to to what it was when David was king and Solomon were in charge. In their defense, that was promised. And one day Jesus will, in fact, do that. For those of us who believe in a literal translation of, of prophets, prophetic scriptures, We believe that Jesus will literally walk through the eastern gate of Jerusalem and uh, sit on the throne of David where he will reign over the world for a thousand years. That's called the millennial kingdom. I absolutely believe that's gonna take place. God has never abandoned his prophecies. But as we're gonna talk about next week, our timeline and God's timeline are different. God gives us jumping points. I'm gonna save people. I'm gonna redeem my city. And we go, oh good, when is that gonna happen? Friday? And God goes, it's gonna start Friday. It's going to end 600 years from Friday. These prophecies start as far back as Genesis chapter 3, that through the line of a woman, he's going to crush the enemy's head. But the Jews, once Abraham has prophesied and his kids grow and God delivers them from Egyptian slavery, by the way, God had already done this once. You realize that? They prayed while in slavery to Egypt that God would send them a deliverer. Oh, send us a deliverer. And God hears and he calls an unbeliever by the name of Moses out of the wilderness to be their deliverer. All they want is God to do it again. They're not asking for anything they haven't experienced before. And you want to know how they felt about their little anointed one when he came? Luke Luke 2.52. See, when you start looking at the context, leave it up there for a few minutes because I want that to soak in. I know that this may not feel like it's a big deal, but it is a huge deal. The truth is that when Jesus was born of a virgin, when the shepherds were told that this was the Messiah, yes, he runs for six or seven years. His family escapes to Egypt, but then he comes back to Nazareth. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and the people. They liked little Yeshua. In fact, at 12 years of age, which is, this, is, this uh, verse comes from, at 12 years of age, when he goes to the temple with his parents to celebrate the Passover, he actually discusses theology with them, and they're so impressed that it actually infers in the Greek that he's teaching the teachers. And after that, it says Jesus grew in favor with God and all the people. They loved Yeshua. They were so proud of Joseph and Mary. They loved him back in Nazareth. They loved everything about him right up until he begins his ministry at 30 years of age. Because people thought he was going to deliver Jerusalem. They thought he was going to be the ultimate Jew. But the problem is he hangs out with Samaritans and heals people with leprosy and actually touches them. And he lets prostitutes wash his feet in the homes of Pharisees. He breaks every rule that the Jews fought so hard to keep. He heals people that don't deserve to be healed. He casts demons out of Gentiles, he even raises their dead children. They really like Jesus until he starts preaching. Merry Christmas. I want to show you now within this context a conversation that we have studied together at the beginning of our series. But in light of all this, I want you to look at a conversation you're extremely familiar with in this context. John chapter 3. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, pay attention. We know that God has sent you to teach us. Take a breath. Now, I, I, know, I know we like the end of Nicodemus because most of us believe he might have been saved because he helps uh, Joseph of Arimathea take the body of Jesus off the cross and bury him. So we like the ending, but I want you to remember the beginning. He is not a believer here. He's not coming to Jesus to, to, uh, to bow the knee. Like uh, we've, uh, sometimes we're told, he didn't come at night so that nobody know he was coming. It says in this text that he was sent from the others. He said, we have come to ask you a question. Jesus refers to him as the greatest of all the pharisaical teachers. What he's coming here to do with Jesus, he's coming here to figure out where we can find a peace treaty. Hey, Rabbi, Rabbi Yeshua, your miracles tell us that you are actually from God. You're the one we've been waiting for. You are the anointed one. We know that now. And Jesus responds to his greeting with this. I tell you the truth, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Woo! That, I, it, whoa, yo, Yeshua. A, I didn't ask that question. B, that's not how you start a good conversation. Jesus slaps him. Because what Nicodemus wanted was the power of Jesus to enhance his teaching ministry. He wanted Jesus to fulfill his dreams. Despite saying, we know God has brought you here to teach us, he doesn't mean that. What he means is, God has sent you here to do what you need to do, whatever that other noise is, so that you can fix us, Jerusalem. We, we don't mean fix our sin. We're, we're kind of good with that. I mean, I'm a religious leader. I know more about the law than you do, little Yeshua. You're just a rabbi. I'm a Pharisee. And Jesus cuts to the chase. Just to be clear, he says, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of God. And by the way, this is the context of, well, how can a man be born again unless he gets in his mother's womb? That's not a real physiological question. He's being sarcastic. Wait, well, hey, this is John 3. It's the, it's the Jesus for God's to love the world passage. There's no sarcasm in there. You better believe there is. There's a religious Jewish conflict going on. He's trying to win Jesus over, and Jesus will have nothing of it. He loves this guy, but he wants to be clear. I'm not here to make peace with the Jews. I'm here to redeem people, and who? for God so loved the Jewish people, right? No. For God so loved who? The world. We have no more conversation with Nicodemus. You know why? Because he was ticked off, and he left the room. Maybe not ticked, but he was blown away. This guy doesn't bend at all. He's like Trump, only righteous. I shouldn't have said that. I'd like to take that back. I mean, this guy doesn't bend. He's not movable. He, he's nothing. Well, you know, he, hey, he starts with flattery. And Jesus says, enough, okay? I, I, I mean, I know your heart. The truth is, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of God. You see, that's the problem with the Jews. And the, and the Jews the Jews like him. I would even say he had hundreds of disciples, as we've learned, right up until he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have any part of me. What? Now i got to be a cannibal? No, that's not what I'm talking about. But I didn't come to make you better. I came to give you eternal life. Jesus wins your kingdom. When are you going to overthrow? The poor folks, they want him to overthrow the Pharisees. The Pharisees want him to overthrow the Sadducees. The Sadducees and the Pharisees want him to overthrow Rome. Everybody wants Jesus to overthrow everything except themselves. Merry Christmas. That's the Advent. They wanted him right up until he became what they didn't want. And it tells us In the Scriptures, that despite knowing, it says that in John, late in John, it says despite knowing that Jesus had been sent from the Father, he was the anointed one. That's what that means. For fear of being thrown out of the synagogue, they refused to bow the knee. How could anybody know and not follow? I don't know. Look around you in the Bible Belt. We've made Jesus a white guy, a a Republican. Some of you have made him a black guy and a justice warrior. He's none of that. He's not on our side. The question is, are we on his side? And the Jews, as a whole, we're not. After the ascension in the upper room in Jerusalem, he has 120 followers. I know that's hard for us to imagine. That's because we're followers. We actually think that if we can convince people of who Jesus really is, they'll all of a sudden bow the knee. And I propose to you today that they knew who he was and they liked him. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. The religious leader Nicodemus actually came to him and said, we know you're from God. We've seen the miracles. We've heard the teachings. So teach us more. And Jesus teaches him. And what does he do? Huh. You're telling me I got to be reborn by my mama at this size? That's exactly what he says. And Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. So whoever believes in me won't, will inherit eternal life. That he won't be condemned. If it were you and I, we'd immediately have fallen on our face and say, "My Lord, my God, OK, give me some of that." Not Nicodemus. Because what Nicodemus wanted wasn't a spiritual messiah. It was what he wanted. That's how people have always been. We always want what we want, and what happens when we find out he's not what we want? They killed him. What about you? I know most of you love Jesus and you've bowed the knee, but have you bowed both knees? I want to remind you what Christmas is about while we're all scurrying around buying gifts for our kids and each other. Christmas, the Advent really isn't about what you give. It's about what you get. Would you put that verse up there for me, please? the last one. It's a good one. Just anticipate the advent of the verse. (laughs) Romans 6.23. It'll come eventually, just like the Lord's return. There it is. That's what what the first advent was really about. He's going to take care of the nation of Israel soon, just not yet. What is that thing you keep saying to me? It is that have but not yet. What is... Julie keeps telling me it's about the, uh, Zach has been talking about it. I think it's from a book or something they've been reading. It's the already but not yet. I want you to think about that. It's a weird phrase. The already is you have all spiritual blessings in Christ. You have a treasure, an inheritance. You already own everything that God is going to give you. You already have eternal life. But not yet. They had the promised nation. They had a rebuilt Jerusalem. They had a king on the throne that would rule forever, but not yet, and they decided that wasn't good enough. And so as we we think about Advent, the first Advent, this is what he came to do. Not to be served, he said to the disciples, but to serve, and that was a problem for everybody. I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. You see, the problem is the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, my Father, is eternal life through me. Before you get a good life through Jesus, before you get healing, before you get all the things you want, because you have all those things. I'm going to dabble into next week's message. You have more wealth than you could ever spend in a million lifetimes. Just not yet. You already have no sickness. You will never be sick again. Just not yet. You already have a father taking care of your every need and desire. Just not yet. You have a prepaid for house. Just not yet. Will you still bow? The Hebrew people as a nation said no. Yeah, they were excited about the deliver. as long as he delivered them from what they wanted to be delivered from. But that's not why he came the first time. The first time he came was to set up what we're going to talk about next week, which is the ultimate deliverance, which is coming, my friends. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming as you promised even when we wanted something else. Now help us to be so convinced that you are the sovereign one that we think what you offer is better than what we want. Knowing that soon enough we will have it all at the second advent. So until then make us content in you in our present circumstances. I pray that no one would walk away when you disappoint their desires. Father, as we go around this community in the next three weeks, may we help them understand what the advent of God's anointed one really means. May we teach our children what the advent of God's God's anointed one really means. I pray for this message. I know it's deep, and I know it's kind of uh, mind-numbing. Help us understand that it is easy to celebrate your birth but not want your message because that's what happened 2,000 years ago. Help us not be like them. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you do not know Jesus this morning as your Savior, this Christmas... The best gift you could get is eternal life through Jesus, and I would love to tell you about it. I'll be up here after if you want to talk about it or ask the person you came with or somebody sitting near you. Every one of them know the answer to that question, and they'll bring you up. God bless you guys. Merry Christmas.